Hey friends, we're back with a new Bible study and um, I've got something to tell you today. It's just so important. This is a really, really key thing. I know it sounds simplistic, but the Bible is real. The stories are real. The people are real. The places are real. It really happened and you can believe it. There's so many out there today who are questioning it, the validity of, of it, uh, as it pertains to things like the flood or the exodus. Well, today we're going to look at uh, a couple of really cool pieces of evidence for the location, the true location of the Red Sea crossing. And we're going to do that right now. Okay, well, uh, yeah, back in action here. And this is a series that I was just super excited to start. Um, and I've got two people in studio today. I'm always excited when I get two people in studio. The first of which needs no introduction. It is the one and only Don Medicus. There he is. I've been untied from the chair. No, no, you haven't. <laughs> I, st I, st I still have him tied up. That's why he's here. And uh, the second one is uh, Mr. Nick Nolfi. How's it going? Yeah. So, hey, and uh, Nick, you get some applause, I too. I some applause. Yeah. Yeah, Nick, Nick. Uh, yeah he, Nick actually started his own uh, podcast here in the studio, and we're so yeah. excited about that. It's called, do you, do you want to give your little plug for, for the podcast there, Chief? It's called the Catholic OCD podcast yeah. objective christian doctrine and that's what ocd stands for is objective christian doctrine yes, right that's okay. what my psychiatrist said <laughs> <laughs> i love it uh but honestly so um you'd be glad to know that i actually sat in on uh his first his first recording, his first episode that he shot, I don't know what order he's going to release these beauties in, but I, I actually um, did three, a total of three with him, and uh, they were some pretty cool topics. We talked about Martin Luther, and we also talked about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD by the Romans, yeah, so the Jewish temple. Cool. So it was, it was cool. Nick's a cool guy. We like you, Nick. Thank you for joining us, man. Excited that you're here. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, yeah. And check it out. It's the Catholic OCD podcast. Um, I will, I'll put a post up um, on Facebook and uh, and a link to your podcast once you get things up and going. So, yeah. He's yeah, got several episodes great. locked in, locked and loaded. They're in the gun chamber. They're and ready. He, he's ready to fire. So, um, so yeah, we're, we're talking here about the Bible and, and the reality of the Bible. And, this has just been something that's been so on my heart because of uh, conversations that I've had with people over the years, also as somebody who's gone through academia. And I've um, been exposed, whether it was in you know undergrad school um, at local university or be, becoming acquainted with the biblical skeptics and critics that started to come about like in the mid-19th century, somewhere in there, they started to uh, question whether or not some of these Bible stories are real. Uh, some people have even, I mean, gone as far as to question whether or not Jesus actually existed. But, you know, um, I, I've got a, a big problem with that. And, uh, you know, I think that it severely, if we especially with some of these Bible stories like this, the Red Sea crossing and Noah's flood. It, number one, Jesus and other biblical authors took them as literal true events. So we have that. 
Uh, but it, it actually undermines our faith somewhat and the credibility of the Bible itself to say that some of these stories are not true stories, that they didn't actually happen, that there was no literal Adam and Eve. And so um, I guess just sort of getting that out there in the open, um, there still is like maybe this element. I don't know if you can relate with this, Don or Nick, like in any way where we look at some of these stories and we go, but did it, did it really happen or do we understand how it happened? There's, there's different theories on the Exodus. There's different theories on the flood. It, you know, I, I went through different theories and why there was a literal global flood. Uh, I think the rock layers show this to us. Um, science screams it. <laughs> um, but there's different theories. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. and it is honestly, it's, it's somewhat fantastical. I mean, it's really hard to imagine when you just go outside right now, wherever you are, and the ground that's underneath your feet to think that that was formed by the mechanisms that, that caused the flood, but that also those, those layers were uh, of dirt and soil and then rock underneath them, uh, sandstone, limestone, things like that, shale, were all laid down by water. Uh, and those are all types of rock, by the way, that are mm-hmm. sedimentary rock. They're created by water. So even evolutionists... Um, you know, have different theories on why the world was covered in water at different points, <laughs> ironically. But anyways, I digress. Today we're talking about the Red Sea crossing. Uh, so I thought it appropriate to mention water, but yeah. some of these stories are a little fantastical. I mean, what do you think, Nick? Do you think, uh, I mean, when, when you hear people sort of questioning Bible stories today, what's your initial thought? So I, th- I think personally, um, especially when you look at Bible stories that have a, a you know, they, they have a deep theological um, yeah, for sure. truth. So, like, say, example. The Exodus. Like, perfect example. Yeah, yeah, so you take the Exodus. Um, you know, we understand this of, of their slavery and yeah. being freed through coming through, through the waters. And um, I think that when you look at some of these stories, and there's, there's always these uh, skeptics, uh, I think that a lot of this comes from after you get into the Enlightenment yeah. period, uh, everybody wants to make sure we don't run into the Galileo uh, controversy. Yeah, 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 again. yeah. But it, but Wait, when you look at Galileo, which though, is a bit of a red herring to me, because I mean, how 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 many times have uh, I, I feel like religion is kind of blamed for you know some of these things, these couple of moments, and and but you see the same thing. Look at Hitler. I mean, look at Hitler yeah. and the Holocaust. I mean, he was not at all a religious person. No. It, it, you know, and and if he was, he was subscribing to, like, you know, Nietzsche and, you know, Nietzsche's Uberman. Yeah. I mean, godlessness and, and maybe somewhat of a mystic because he sought out, uh, you know, mystics. And he believed in evolution. That was his purpose. That so was his at, religion. At, yes, yes. Really. So, I mean, I, well, a lot of times, you know, you hear Galileo mentioned as though, you know, science and, and religion are opposed or science and Christianity. But one of the interesting things to me, um, one person you, that you can listen to on this topic that's really interesting, his name is Stephen Meyer, Dr. Stephen Meyer. But he'll, and he, he um, I think he just wrote a book called The Return of the God Hypothesis. And he talks about how Western Christianity and Western culture actually set the stage for the scientific um principles that we have oh yeah today so i mean you know the the, I, the thought you're right nobody wants the galileo but situation but galileo was right in a theological sense right because 
you know, ironically, yeah, we want to be geocentric. Yeah. We want to have the understanding that everything revolves around us. It's supposed to be heliocentric. You know, yeah. sometimes the scriptures refer to Jesus as the Son, S U N. Right, right. You right. know, and everything yeah. does revolve around the uh, yeah, around the Son. But it's interesting though, even even in Bible translations or Bible uh, commentary. So I know being somebody who host a just an at-home bible study at, at my yeah. house the new american uh bible translation and it has like the the saint joseph's like uh you know the study guide yeah and when you talk to a lot of people in the catholic world they're almost convinced that some of these commentaries are written by atheists because it will it. have to say like <laughs> you know prophecies about jesus uh, with the temple like yeah. well he must have said this later because, right. uh, you know, this happened or uh, almost like questioning that there's no way anything miraculous could have actually happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. And well, that, and that's that's the point is that you have people or have had people throughout church, church history, ironically now, mm-hmm. that have basically questioned whether or not some of these events are real. What are your thoughts there, Don? Well, to me, for I grew up as a Catholic. I was in the Catholic religion until I got saved in 79. And just from the Catholic perspective, I really believed in the Bible, even though it was like hampered sense. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, this happened, but, and it was like not really pushed at you. You know what I mean? It was like a story instead of the truth. And then when I started reading the Bible and getting into the Bible, and the more I got into it, the more I'm like, these are not stories. These are actual facts that's happened. Yeah, it's a story about this, but it really yeah. did happen. Right. So I took it as pure truth. And yeah. to hear somebody say this, you know, this didn't happen. Uh, no man was ever swallowed by a great fish. I'm like, no, no, it happened. Yeah. You know, and the flood happened. And there were so many people that didn't believe that. And there was people that did. And again, like you said, stories. These are stories that they just made up to show you certain things. And I never took it that way. I always took it the way it was absolutely true. If it's in the Bible, it's got to be true. That's what I would think. Yeah. And I still feel that way. And, and so, like, you know, basically, I, I think, you know, the, the moral of the story is I, I think that you have, you have theological problems when you start to say some of these stories didn't happen. Um, but I, I also just think you have problems in general about the, the uh, reliability of, of Scripture, and um, be, being somebody who's looked at different theories, whether it's, you know, theories of a regional or a global flood, um, the Exodus, different locations for Mount Sinai. Uh, last week, I revealed a location to you, maybe for the first time, although this has been, you know, well known for some number of decades now and, and even beyond, actually. Um, the location of this, this place called Jabal al-Laz in northwest Saudi Arabia. Uh, it has a reputation from the locals of being the Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. It has a blackened peak. It has the cave of Elijah. It has proto-Hebrew writing all around. It's got the split rock, which is amazing and incredible. Um, if you didn't get a chance to see the first video in this series, I actually show you uh, someone else's drone footage and, and so on of, of the place. So check that out because, uh, you know, that's, that's going to show you a lot. But... Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the site of the Red Sea crossing today, because this is something that people have questioned. Could this really have happened? And where did it happen? How could it have happened? Um, I, I even saw a show on the History Channel some years ago 
that it basically is uh, an attempt to sort of naturalistically explain uh, different Bible miracles. And, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I think it can be interesting to find a naturalistic reason. I mean, you can maybe explain scientifically how God did a miracle, you know? So, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily, in some cases you can. Um, I don't have a problem with that. But uh, but in this particular show, what they were trying to do was push the uh, actual location, the site of the Red Sea crossing up into um, basically like a marshy area where it wouldn't really have been as dramatic uh, of an event as we see portrayed in the movie, The Ten Commandments, for example, which based on this location I'm going to show you today, it probably would have been more akin to. So this is really fantastic. It's really quite incredible. And uh, I wanted to start off with this idea because I feel like this is important. And I almost feel like this is a theme passage of scripture for this entire series here. But basically, um, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he says to them, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And so, so this is, again, like this is showing... Um, Nick, this kind of gets to your point about how like these stories have deeper theological significance. So what basically Paul is saying here is that this, this walk, walking through the parting of the sea is actually a baptism of sorts. And so he says, they all walked through the, the sea and they were baptized. And in verse three, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. Again, more symbolism here in these literal actual stories that really happened. Uh, for they drank from the spiritual rock, the, the rock, the split rock that get gushed water in the middle of the desert that accompanied them. And that rock was, it was Christ. It was Jesus. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, this is the important part. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And then, and then it goes on. He goes on to say, he says, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. And then again, again, what are the, the next three words that we read here? Don, you want to read them for me? Can you? Uh, these no things happened these things happened to them as examples mm. and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come and again just wanting to focus on those words these things happened these things happened these things happened i know i'm cutting the the verse short but these things happened. These things happened to them as examples, but these things happened. Mm -hmm. And so Paul is looking at these, these scriptures and these stories. And, you know, I, I pointed out when we were talking about evolution, how Paul is talking to the Athenians at one point, and he says to them uh, that all men, he, he imposes the biblical narrative, the true narrative on an ungodly pagan populace who has no frame of reference for the things of which he's speaking. And he says to them that all men came from one man. 
Right. You know, he, he doesn't say that God developed the world through a per- period of evolution and, and monkeys and so on. No, he's, he's seeing that. And that's what we need to do today. I think a lot of times we're open to things that, that just aren't in the Bible or just aren't true. And we're, we're, we're just trying too hard, I think, sometimes to sugarcoat what we're trying to say. And we just need to get at it and say, these things are real. And if these things are real, then how does that change our faith? How does that change our, um, you know, does it give us, gives us a, a sense of urgency, like in our evangelism, to want to share Christ with people? Does it make us uh, feel like we got to get our lives right? Like we got to get real. That's that's the the whole um, series that we're, we're doing now, Get Real. And it's called Get Real because the Bible stories are real. And, and so we need to get real. So getting back to this idea of the Red Sea crossing, there have been different proposed sites for this. But in, I'm going to show you this map here of uh, the area of, of Sinai. And th- this is basically a route that the Israelites would have taken. Um, if you look up closer to where it says Ramses in the top left corner or Avaris, it's, it's actually a biblical archaeological site of Avaris. And um, some, some incredible evidence there that Hebrews lived there during the time of the ancient Egyptians. Um, and see what it says Goshen there. That's where they were enslaved. Now, the traditional Red Sea, or excuse me, the traditional site of Mount Sinai is not the one you see there on the map. The traditional site of Mount Sinai, which was actually deemed to be Mount Sinai by the Emperor Constantine's mother, who was living some 1,800 years after the events of the Exodus. It's right right underneath or right around where the D and Red Sea, Wilderness of the Red Sea is. So if you look at right in the middle of the map, Wilderness of the Red Sea, R-E-D, mm-hmm. right, right, right about where the D is, right, right about where it says Red Sea, somewhere in there is right about where the traditional Mount Sinai is. And so what... Like, for example, this naturalistic uh, explanation of the, the Red Sea crossing site took the, the, the parting of the, quote, Red Sea uh, to mean the Reed Sea, not the Red Sea, but the Reed Sea. The Reed Sea is up there closer to Avaris and Ramses, and it wouldn't have been as dramatic of a parting. But if you follow this red line down, it, it would take you through the wilderness, as the Israelites did, to actually the, the boundary the sea, the Yom Suf in the Hebrew actually means the sea of the end, the sea of the boundary. All of the, all of the Sinai Peninsula there, where it says the wilderness of the Red Sea, all of that is actually in, it's located in ancient Egypt. Right. The Bible says that the Israelites left Egypt by, at, at, by going through the, the sea of the end. The, the sea of the of the boundary does that does that make sense and so you know again looking at this map um, you see where that red line ends it ends at a place called uh, Nueva Beach which I actually um, got the full name of this earlier and I thought this was kind of fantastic listen to this the, the full name is not Nueva Beach but Nueva al Muzayaya something like that Muzayina what do you think about that word, Nick? Uh, I'm going to have to throw it into my uh, vocabulary. <laughs> Apparently. But, I mean, like, so, you know what that means? It, it means Moses. It, it means that, that from ancient times, this, this beach was called the, the parting, where, where the, the Sea of Moses, the, where, uh, the Way of Moses, I believe, is how it's translated. So, I just think that's a fascinating thing. But. Well, and then there's a connection, too, because Moses literally means one who is 
drawn out of water. Yeah, right. Cool. I love it, man. Let me show you guys this really cool video that um, explains this place, this Nueva Beach, uh, in a little bit more detail. I should have told you this is about five minutes. So uh, I try to analyze things and I try to go to the bottom with different issues. And the goal for this trip is to look at the Bible text as a book of history, a book of historical events, and that they describe something that really has happened. And then from the text, I thought that was Jacques Cousteau. What, what really <laughs> it's like the biblical Jacques Cousteau. In the spring of 2000, yeah. Dr. Leonard Moeller took part in an expedition through Egypt and the Sinai His name's Leonard Moeller. He's, um, you'll hear his name come up in other, uh, if you watch other, pay attention to other people that study these different archaeological sites, you'll hear his name come up on occasion. He did some scuba diving here, though. In analytical research, coupled with a deep interest in biblical archaeology, had drawn him to the Middle East on many occasions. Now, as a member of an international team, he had come to the Gulf of Aqaba to renew his search for evidence of the Israelites' exodus journey. For several years, Moeller studied historical and documentary evidence, suggesting Midian as the probable location of Mount Sinai. He realized that to reach the mountain of God, the Israelites would have first crossed a body of water located east of Egypt's ancient borders. Yeah, there's the, the Sinai Peninsula. It's always on the east coast of the Gulf of Aqaba. And the mountain was in the land of Midian. There, Moses saw the burning bush, etc. So if the mountain is on the east coast of the Gulf of Aqaba, and if the land of Midian is there, and if all these events took place there, they have to cross some water to get there. And therefore, the Gulf of Aqaba is a great interest. As the right arm of the Red Sea, the Gulf of Aqaba separates the Sinai and Arabian peninsulas. Moeller recognized several specific connections between the Gulf and biblical accounts of the Exodus. A prime example is found in the book of First Kings. You can hear the water in the video. <laughs> in approximately 950 BC, King Solomon is said to have built his navy at Etzion Geber, near Elath, an ancient city on the northern coast of the Gulf of Aqaba. According to the Hebrew text, this gulf where Solomon's ships were harbored was called Yan Suf. Most likely we talk about the Red Sea as uh, the Gulf of Aqaba. We know that it's called Yan Suf, which is the Red Sea. We know that um, uh, King Solomon had his fleet in uh, Yam Suf. This Hebrew name, Yam Suf, also plays a prominent role in the Exodus account, for it is used to identify the waters crossed by Moses and his people. The geography of the Gulf of Aqaba also resembles biblical descriptions of the Yam Suf God once parted for Israel. Aqaba is extremely deep, plunging more than a mile in some spots. It is adjacent to a dense wilderness of rugged mountains. 
and it is located clearly outside the borders of Egypt, as recognized during the time of Moses. Some fascinating things about this location. Led Leonard Moller and others to theorize that the Gulf of Aqaba is the Red Sea of the Exodus story. If you look at the mountains behind it, they would have been completely pinned in by the mountains. I mean, it would have been totally terrifying. At the Straits of Tyran. This channel, five miles across, is one of the most popular recreation areas on Earth, as spectacular reefs and marine life attract divers from throughout the world. But the topography of the seafloor here would have made an Israelite crossing highly unlikely. For less than a mile offshore, a subterranean canyon plunges nearly a thousand feet at a grade so steep, passage on foot across jagged coral beds would have been virtually impossible even if the waters were miraculously removed. Seventy miles north of the Straits, near the center of the Aqaba coast, another potential crossing site extends into the sea. It is called the Nueva Peninsula. It sort of breaks out from the mountain ranges. I mean, there's uh, nothing south of it, nothing north of it, you know, uh, if you follow the shore. can tell this is a little dated this, by her haircut. It just breaks out from the mountain range into a large plains. I thought that was funny. I know. This is probably <laughs> the only place at the Gulf of Aqaba, uh, the western shore, where you could gather as many people as the Bible states that they were. Satellite photographs of the Nueva Peninsula clearly reveal its distinctive geography. This triangular-shaped beach would be the focus of a remarkable search for evidence of the Israelites' journey. So, um, you know, like, the reason I chose this particular video is because it really focuses just mm -hmm. on that, that particular site and, and why. Um, y when you look at the, that uh, eastern arm of the Red Sea, the... Uh, Gulf of Aqaba, and then you've got the this beach, basically right. this one beach. It's it's the the one place, the only place where you can actually see that uh, it would have been possible for people if water was removed to cross over on foot. And I don't know if they actually covered it in there or not in the video, but um, there's actually like evidence of of chariot ancient mm -hmm. like coral formations that look like ancient chariot parts and things like that. It's fascinating. So, um, I, I mean, I don't necessarily want to say that that's a piece of lock solid evidence that, you know, this is the site of the, the Red Sea crossing. But I think when you start to really take the Bible stories seriously, and th this is my point is, and you go, okay, I believe that this did happen. Right. If we're going to take that step that this did happen and we start looking at ancient documents and, where was Midian? Midian wasn't in the Sinai Pen Peninsula. Midian was over in northwest Saudi Arabia. Mount Sinai, according to ancient historical records, was the, the tallest mountain in Midian. The tallest mountain in Midian, where the ancient land of Midian today is, is this Jabal al-Laz, this mountain of Moses, the, as the, the locals mm -hmm. refer to it. Um, ironically, this beach, you know, that... that would would take you right there. You can actually follow the path, and many people have followed this path today. Um, you it it takes you there. 
my point is that if you start to take the Bible stories literally and true, and if this did happen, if the Exodus did happen, okay, which obviously we believe it did, this had to be where it happened. I, I don't see where else you can actually point, what other location you can point to to say that it happened. And to me, when I see this particular site at Nueva Beach there in the Gulf of Aqaba, and, and in my mind, this Red Sea crossing, I mean, it, it seems fantastical. It seems crazy. It seems like, did, you know, could this really have happened? And you see the way it's depicted in a movie like the Ten Commandments, the, you know, the 1956 Ten Commandments movie. But it seems like that's how it happened. I mean, and, and honestly, like, this seems legit to me. And, and I'm one who, you know, like, I do my homework on things. I probably have a little bit of a skeptical nature. <laughs> and, and, and I want to find the truth about stuff. But this, this seems like, if we're going to take the Bible story true, and that's, that's what I'm trying to do in this series is show you that I don't know what you heard, but there's a lot of evidence out there pointing to these stories being true and literal and, and amazing in the way that they actually happened. Well, look at all the stuff they found there. Yeah. They have the rock to split right. where the water came out. Yeah. They have the altar where they had the calf on the altar. They even had the uh, cave that, that uh, I can't think of his name right offhand, that he stayed in the cave there. Yeah. And there's so much that's there. Plus, when you look at the underwater bridge that is underneath there. Right. It, it just mean, happens it to be there. It all fits together. It all, fi it all fits together. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like when you start to study this particular location, it all fits together. And that's why I'm, I'm so like passionate about this because, because it all fits specifically right. in, in a way beyond what you would imagine or think So it fits. I mean, let's look at this from the perspective of, okay, why would somebody in – why would a Christian, why would a Christian try to say, oh, you know, this probably didn't happen? Yeah. Is it because you're, you're coming across, you're, you're feeling the pressure of the world, the yeah. skeptical uh, idea, and you're like, well, listen, uh, maybe that didn't happen. There's no way God really parted these seas. But going back to the verse uh, in First Corinthians ten. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's say it didn't happen. How does that affect your salvation? Well, I'm going to you know bring this to like Saint Augustine, and so you take that verse. What, what is Paul's purpose of this? Paul's purpose of this verse is a warning, right? You know, these are people who they were in slavery. Yeah. They were baptized mm -hmm. through the waters. Soon as they were baptized and saved by yeah. God. Right, right. It takes them five minutes to start worshiping. Gr right, right. You know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. You know, of course you're gonna get into the, the next chapter in, in, in eleven where Paul's gonna talk about the same warning, then these people are gonna start sacrificing to uh to Greek idols. Yeah. You know, which you know, you think about that. Paul sh showing how they came out of the water, they were baptized. Yeah, and they immediately start sacrificing the false idols. In Corinthians eleven, he's going to show about how you can't uh, participate in the altar of the Lord and the the, uh, the altar of idols and the table of our Lord. But here's the thing: we're saying there's no way that could happen. 
There's no way God could part that water. Look at the New Testament understanding of our repentance, our salvation, uh, and, and our being uh, being freed from slavery through the new baptism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What we're saying is that God is actually taking somebody who is a sinner, not an adopted child of God, an enemy of God, right? a child of wrath, a slave to sin, mm-hmm. and we're saying that God is taking that person and turning them into a child of God. Yeah. And this is well, well, and how about the resurrection of Jesus too? I mean, you know, we're talking about, you know, New Testament miracles. Like, yeah. I mean, like, like dead people don't come to life. I mean, yeah. like there is, there is a supernatural element and even an atheist can't, if somebody doesn't believe you're going to go back so far, some, some atheistic scientist or whatever goes, goes back so far into what your view of history and, and what, how did how did everything come to be? Where where did matter come from? Where did the laws of physics come from? You know, um, if you watch you, a debate, there's a great debate between. Um, there had to be some supernatural element. That's what I was getting getting at. It, yeah, if you with, watch a uh, debate, there's a great debate between um, uh, Richard Dawkins and uh, Cardinal Penn. He's an Australian cardinal, and, okay. and they debate. Um, they debate Darwin. They debate. You know, theism yeah. versus atheism. I, I've and showed when, our audience a few uh, clips of Richard Dawkins and his insanity. When he gets, <laughs> when he gets to the point of where he's trying to show yeah. how something came from nothing. From I, nothing. I, I, I showed that clip on on uh, on this podcast okay. one day, and uh, how how the it, it's ludicrous. It is, and and it literally it spurred on the laughter of the audience. You know, it was so hysterical. But getting back to like this. Like the whole idea of, of these Bible stories happening, and and I don't know what it does for you, you know, in your heart and your soul. Like when when you see stuff like this, like these locations, um, this is a half an hour show, so I I can't go into every single cool detail about this that I would love to show you. But I just want to encourage you to research it. Like if you want to, um, if you want to learn more, you can actually get like this DVD series. It's it's eight hours. It's eight one hour. Uh, lectures. It's an academic series by a guy who he breaks this down, um, and he does a really, really great job of it. It's it's kind of like sitting in school, so it's got that little bit of an element to it. But um, if you want to learn a little bit more about the topic, like study it, uh, pick this up. It's called Mount Sinai in Arabia. It's also a book if you like to read. So I mean, I, I want to say this too. Yeah, uh, for you people with you know for your faith and the strength in your faith, uh, we were talking about. Uh, God creating the world from nothing. And uh, when we talk about these miracles, St. Augustine of Hippo says that it's a greater miracle when God turns a sinner into a saint than when he created the world out of nothing. Mm -hmm. I love it. That's that's great. And that's that's why we have Nick here, because he... (laughs) Nick quotes Augustine. Augustine He does. He does. I love it. I love it. So, um, yeah. So, basically, that's that's just... like I just want to encourage you to to read and to study this particular location. There's lots of great resources out there. Um, There's, uh, there's another great series called patterns of evidence. That was the other one that I wanted to bring up. Um, You can actually look up, uh, I could play it for you here, but it's, we're kind of winding down now and I feel like um, you can look it up on your own. Um, You can actually, I think you could purchase these particular videos. It's a series of videos by a guy who um, went 
he was just sort of struggling in his faith and he's a he's a director of of christian films and he he found evidence for the exodus basically because he was told there's no evidence for the exodus so the it's called patterns of evidence the first one i think is called the exodus there's another one called the the moses controversy which is fascinating he gets into um whether or not moses actually wrote uh and, and we believe he did the the Pentateuch, Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and then he his most recent ones were the Miracle of the Red Sea Crossing, parts one and two. But he interviews skeptics, he interviews academics. Um, it's a very well done series. So I just wanted to bring those up here and say, like, you know, dig into this stuff. Like, don't just take my word for it. I've literally spent years studying the Bible, studying different, you know, elements of history, of archaeology. Of, of different things that encourage me in my faith. And so that's what I'm trying to do for you. That's what we're trying to do for you. We want you to know that God is real. We want you to know that you can trust Jesus with your life and with your salvation. We want you to know all these things because th these things happened, getting back to this scripture verse that we read, they happened as examples for you personalize it for you so that you could not do what many of them did and go back to idolatry and go back to a lesser way of life to not go back to a place where um you're not honoring god and there's nothing like there is nothing like knowing jesus amen and having a personal relationship with him there's nothing like that that is what we want for you that is why this podcast exists Amen. and uh, that's what we're talking all about in this series where we're saying get real we want to show you some some and, and i'm not done there there's a, there's a lot more to come here and we're not just going to stay on this topic of the exodus um I, I please read some of these resources please watch some of these resources that i'm telling you about so that your faith can be built up so that you have an answer the, the bible tells us to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have and, and so I'm, I'm ready to do that. I'm, I'm doing that to, for you right now, but I want you to be able to do the same thing. And uh, if you've never accepted Christ into your heart before, um, if you don't know that you're a Christian, if you don't know that you know God, I just want to encourage you that you can know that you know him. In fact, the, the Bible tells us that God wants you to know that. And, and the Bible says that all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That if you confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's your faith that God desires. It's your heart that God desires. And so give your heart to him now. All you have to do is say this simple prayer. So if you're sitting at home alone, if you're watching in the car, um, even if you're around other people, you don't have to say this out loud. You can say it. Just close your eyes and say with me right now, Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I need a savior. I believe that, uh, God, that you died for my sins and I, I believe that you rose again from the dead three days later as evidence that God received your sacrifice. Please give me your Holy Spirit to be in my heart and make me born again so that I can live for you all the days of my life in jesus name amen if you did say that prayer then i want to encourage you that uh we always say it like this in church and i don't know if everybody likes this but there's a party going on in heaven right now amen people are people are excited and uh you know i think 
I'm one. The Bible talks about a cloud of witnesses. And uh, Paul talks about that. If, if uh, I know, Nick, you, you believe that Paul wrote Hebrews. Hebrews 12. Yes. Right. Yes. Hebrews 12, the cloud of witnesses. And so, you know, he's talking about that, like running a race and like there's people in a stadium watching you. Right. And so, you know, no matter what you're going through, know that we're cheering for you. Know that God is watching you and that maybe he just gave you this message. Maybe you're watching this podcast right now because he wants you to know that he's real and that you need to get real with him. Love you. We'll see you in the next podcast. See you in the next episode. Join us again later.